Oh, hello, my rebels, as Ezra Levant always says, but this is not Ezra Levant. I'm sure you've guessed that by now. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and I'm filling in for Ezra on the show tonight. Tonight, my monologue is about how new data published by the Liberals in the House of Commons blows a big fat hole right through their gun control agenda. Is it going to stop their gun control agenda? Probably not. The Liberals have never needed evidence of anything before they did anything dumb. And of course, it's not going to stop the mainstream media from demonizing law-abiding gun owners like myself. But uh, at least I can show you the truth. So there's that. And then Katie Davis-Cord, our U.S.-based reporter, joins us to discuss her SaveSeattleChinatown.com campaign. And then, of course, as always, we've got your letters to Ezra read by me. I guess today. Now, the show is definitely fun to listen to, but if you want to watch, and I think it's more fun to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our premium, long form TV style shows here on Rebel News. Subscribers get early, ad free access to all kinds of shows, including Ezra's Daily Show, my weekly show, The Gun Show, David Menzies' show, Rebel Roundup. Andrew Chapados's show, Andrew Says, and Kat and Nat's show, Misunderstood. All of that, only 8 bucks a month. We added a bunch of new shows and we never even increased the price because we're helping you fight inflation. Oh, and subscribers get exclusive access to premium content like our new documentaries. To become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus, it's really easy. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and subscribe today. And can you do me a favor if you're listening to us? on Apple or Google or wherever you might find us, leave us a five-star review because that helps other people find the podcast in the algorithm, but it also helps us beat CBC in the podcast rankings. And that's kind of important to me because, you know, they get all of your money and we're over here on a shoestring budget. But as you know, I think we're doing far better work and I would love it if the podcast rankings reflected that fact. All right, here's the show. Even the Liberals know their handgun ban targets you. They were just forced to admit it in the House of Commons. Then Katie Davis Court joins us to talk about the fight to save Seattle's Chinatown. It's September 23rd, 2022. I'm Sheila Gunnery, but you are watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. It all started back in May 2020 when Justin Trudeau used the catastrophes of the government lockdown from the pandemic and the single largest mass casualty event in Canadian history to push forward a gun control agenda. Some say with the help of RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky, who is now accused of using herself as a political pawn, strategically releasing information that would help Justin Trudeau further his gun control agenda. Justin Trudeau banned using an undemocratic order in council 1,500 popular models of shotguns and firearms from the very people who jumped through all the hoops to do everything right to own those possessions. Why? Because somebody who did not go through those hoops committed a murder or multiple murders in Nova Scotia. 
And then Justin Trudeau used the shooting in a school in Uvalde, Texas, where the police stood idly by outside as children were murdered to disarm Canadians who don't want to rely on potentially useless police officers for their safety. Justin Trudeau used that shooting where children died to ban the sale and importation of handguns here in Canada. Some criminals did something somewhere else and Canadian firearms owners pay the price here. It's an evergreen statement. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. We're also fighting gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing maximum criminal penalties and providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearm crimes. And we'll require the permanent alteration of long gun magazines so they can never hold more than five rounds. These are actions that doctors, experts and chiefs of police have been calling for for years and we're acting on their advice. We need less gun violence. We cannot let the guns debate become so polarized that nothing gets done. We cannot let that happen in our country. And then Justin Trudeau, he said the quiet part out loud that it wasn't about handguns or Uvalde or the mass casualty event in Nova Scotia. It was about making sure you, you never owned firearms again. Listen to this. Uh, or whether it's our most uh, recent initiative on uh, banning, uh, sorry, on freezing uh, the market for firearms, uh, which will uh, start moving us in the right direction over the medium and long term. Uh, these are things that uh, you all had voices in, and I'm really excited about uh, not just hearing about the impacts of these things, but talking about uh, how we continue to move forward. Uh, because, yes, we see a debate around gun control, but there's not a debate around whether our communities need to be safer, whether we need to keep kids uh, safe uh, from violence, uh, whether we need to see fewer uh, gunshot victims in our ERs. Um, there is no debate around that. Uh, there are lots of important conversations about how to best do that, but as we know, there is no one magic way of doing it. As I said, that's the quiet part out loud. That's the part that only the liberals are supposed to know, but you're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to figure that stuff out. And the liberals, as you know, they really don't need any evidence for anything that they do before they do it to you from arrive can to travel bans to gun grabs. They don't have to prove the efficacy of their policies before they do them. But this week in the House of Commons, an order paper question response compelled, strangled out of the government by a conservative MP, Alex Ruff of Bruce Gray Owen Sound, showed just how little effectiveness the Liberals' handgun ban is going to have on real crime rates. Because, as we all know, it only targets the lawful. It must have burned the Liberals' asses to have to produce this data, and that makes me very happy. Let's take a look at it, though. Ruff asked the government for statistics on crimes committed with handguns since January 1st, 2016, including how many of those were committed by an illegally obtained handgun. Page two here has an interesting footnote. It indicates that the Quebec statistics are completely excluded from the data because of the low quality of the data. 
and it's mostly unknown what kinds of weapons are used in murders and crimes there. Now, I am old enough to remember when the alleged conservative failure of a leadership hopeful Jean Charest fought with the Harper government in court for years to be able to maintain long gun registry data in Quebec long after the long gun registry was tossed out by Stephen Harper. I guess it wasn't all that effective violating the rights of gun owners, was it Jean Charest? Anyway, we can see that 6% of the incidents in the nation were committed with replica guns, toys. But here's the real kicker. On page three and four, you can see the statistics on legal handguns versus illegal ones used in crimes. And then when we drill down and look at legal guns versus illegal guns used in murders, we can see that 13 legally obtained handguns were used in murders across the country in 2019 out of 131 murders. When we look at the 2020 data, so that's the year that Justin Trudeau decided to come after Canadian gun owners, there were only 11 handguns that were legally obtained used in murders across the country out of 137 murders for it. Justin Trudeau told us when his brain malfunctioned once again and he went completely off script and accidentally told the truth. Katie Davis Court joins us after the break to talk about her campaign to save Seattle's Chinatown. There's a lot of progressive NIMBYs out there. I don't know if you know what the word NIMBY means. It's an acronym. It stands for Not In My Backyard. And we have seen this beautifully exposed by Florida Governor Big Ron DeSantis. He decided that if progressives are voting for open borders and if they want to vote to be sanctuary cities, well, they're going to get open borders and sanctuary cities. And the migrant problem that people in America's border states have to live with are going to be, those problems are going to be brought to the people who actually voted for them. And so he did that by shipping migrants up to beautiful Martha's Vineyard. And the more I think about it, I think it's beautiful because, you know, the people in Martha's Vineyard, they think that uh, Ron DeSantis runs a hellhole of a state. So why wouldn't they want to rescue migrants from him? But that's not the case now, is it? Not when the chickens come home to roost. And, uh, you know, on the flip side, there's a lot of, in our cities, progressives voting for things that they don't want to come to their neighborhood. For example, here in Alberta, where I live in the capital city of Edmonton, very progressive city council, they vote for bizarre drug and homelessness uh, policies, and then they just dump the drug addicts and homeless people in Chinatown, where they're constantly trying to revitalize, but at least it's not in the backyard of the mayor and the councillors. That's a problem that's happening in places all across North America. And joining me now is Katie Davis Court our West Coast-based reporter, to discuss her campaign to save Seattle's Chinatown. Katie, thanks for joining me. What is going on in Seattle's Chinatown? Yes, Sheila, thanks for having me on. This is a very important story. You know, there seems to be some sort of great awakening happening in the Chinese International District as they are starting to revolt against uh, city council and our King County Executive, Dow Constantine, who imposed a... $22 million homeless megaplex 
just one block from their uh, from their Chinatown community. And Chinatown is known already to be a hot zone for crime. In Seattle, you know, you mentioned earlier about failed progressive policies. Well, that is exactly what the city is suffering from. Criminal lawlessness and hate crimes have increased against Asians by more than 330% in the past year alone, following the defund the police movement and the pandemic and other factors in that. But the ones that are attacking are wonderful members that live in the uh, Chinese International District. They're actually homeless vagrants who um, attack the elderly and they get put back out onto the streets because our city has a lack of prosecution and revolving door policies. So they already live in fear. They are brutally assaulted, homicides on the regular in uh, the CID is what they call it. And they do not want this homeless megaplex. So they're experiencing firsthand what uh, you vote or you get what you voted for, and they are actually fighting back. They are, have started to revolt against city council, and they went to city council, or huge protests, to make their voices heard. But what I found to be abhorrent by the city council is only two city council members showed up to the meeting, and the rest are still on Zoom. They, they claim that, you know, they still fear of COVID, so they can't go to um, in-person meetings. But what was extremely despicable was when the the members of the Chinese community approached the podium to give personal testimony. They had their cameras turned off, so they couldn't even tell whether or not their um, their representatives were listening to them. You know that's outrageous. The same thing happens here. Our Chinatown community. It's downtown. It's an older community. You know these Chinatowns. Uh, I think our Chinatown is probably similar to yours. Uh, it's sort of a community that was built around the formation of the railroad. Um, and mm-hmm. they're doing their best to, you know, encourage businesses to move into the neighborhood. There are existing businesses there. It's their community. It's their cultural hub. And then these progressive policies just pile all the drug addicts and homeless people into their neighborhoods, drive the crime rate up, drive their property value down and make it impossible for people to do business there. And then when they take it to the, politicians, they're accused of being unkind and unsympathetic to the homeless people and the drug addicts. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, um, the members in the CID, they are saying that city council is taking advantage of them because of their polite culture. They're not known to even get involved in politics. They actually would rather refrain from getting involved. But I think we are seeing a great awakening because they are very well aware that the progressives on city council are failing them. They marched with signs that said Democrats are missing in action. They had signs that had city council members' faces on them with crossed out asking where they are. These are the same city council members that, you know, try to win over their votes by playing identity politics. And they are seeing firsthand that that is not how... um, a successful city and culture should, should be ran. So they're very well awakened. And what I found to be um, a significant part was Democrats weren't there. We don't have a single conservative or Republican even in our city council, but Washington state GOP, they actually showed up to the protests and started helping the members of the Chinese international district. So come November midterm election, the next election cycle, it's going to be very interesting to see who they vote for. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, You know, here in Canada, some of the most outspoken critics of progressivism are uh, new Canadians from China. 
uh, because they came here for democracy. They came here for accountable government. And they don't, there's no concept of wokeness really in their culture. And I think it's wonderful. It's something we can all learn from. And so, you know, they, uh, for example, here in Alberta, and I'll, just because that's my experience, they just look at the crime. They don't care who's committing it. They just don't want the crime on their doorstep um, because they pay taxes like everybody else. They want to be safe on the streets. And like you say, it's very interesting that these people who play to um, play to the media that they are in support of minorities and they care about underserved communities, they may as well be treating the Chinese community like they're a bunch of toxic white males. Yeah, exactly right. You know, they uh, say that they care about marginalized communities. If they did, they would not be putting this homeless megaplex next to the CID because it's a 500-bed shelter. The Chinatown already has 20 shelters. They don't need any more homeless shelters. It's just more failed progressive policies. They seem to think that the crime or whatever happens in this megaplex is going to stay in the fencing. That is not what happens. Uh, we have been suffering as a city for five years of failed homeless policies. Uh, they do homeless sweeps, but they sweep the encampments and they set up one block down the street. It's a lawless hell zone where we live, and the, it's just going to make the Chinese community suffer even more. You know, it's you know, it's the chicken or the egg, right? I'm a firm believer of if you build it, they will come. So if you are going to build a homeless megaplex. In any neighborhood, the homeless people will come. They need housing. They'll right. come. They'll get there. So why aren't we putting it in some of the nicer neighborhoods to or maybe the mayor's neighborhood so that he can experience the cultural diversity he's dumping on somebody else? Right. You know, that is the question of the century. They like to um, and make these radical policies. They are helping the community, say it's for compassion, but they refuse to put uh, these homeless encampments anywhere near their neighborhood because they know what homeless encampments bring. It brings crime, it brings unsafety, and they would rather um, other communities suffer than themselves. Well, and I think there's a broader societal issue here in how we deal with homelessness and drug addiction. Progressive cities are so often in favor of, you know, legalized injection sites or legalized drug use altogether. Um, because they say that's compassion. But when you look at how long-term drug addicts live, I don't know how you could look at advocating for someone to stay in that spiral of doom and gloom and misery as the compassionate thing when it should be, you know, early intervention, drug treatment, not drug toleration. Um, I think there's a broader societal issue here with how I think people on the left versus people on the right see drug addiction, mental illness, and homelessness. We see it as something to be treated and they see it as something to be tolerated and to have the stigma removed. I think stigma might actually be a good thing sometimes. Right, I agree with you. I, but I think what's happening here, at least in Seattle, is I believe that it's by design. It coincides with the defund the police movement. They are creating a lawless state because they want to usher in a police state and a federal police force to really, I think it's a broader um, picture to add towards the global takeover with the World Economic Forum to get globalism, Washington State, 
Oregon, California, we are kind of the epicenter of the whole global takeover for the U.S. So I believe that it's by design. They don't want to get these people help because they need them to remain um, as they are to usher in these police forces, make a police state. And it, they say it's, you know, you would try to help them. That's not compassionate, but they're the ones not being compassionate. And, it, and people are waking up to it. Is what, which is what we're seeing. Yeah, that's a good point. You create chaos and then you sell the author authoritarian overreach to solve the chaos. It's a neat little scam they have there. And in the meantime, people move out and flee to Texas and Florida. And yeah. Places, places where people vote Republican and they don't vote for these things. And then the, the political refugees show up there and then vote Democrat. It's right. bizarre. Right. Exactly what now, happens. <laughs> Katie, tell us, because unlike the Democrat politicians in your state, you're actually, or in Seattle, I should say, you're actually trying to do something to help the people in Chinatown. Tell us what you're doing and how people can get involved. Yeah, so if you would like to help the residents of Seattle Chinatown, please go to SaveSeattleChinatown.com, sign the petition. Rebel News is going to help them. So we are staying on the story. We're, we are not going to let them succumb to Dow Constantine's uh, radical plans to impose this megaplex. So we are going to help them fight back against it, stay on the story, keep exposing what's going on. So if you would like to help, please, please, please go to saveseattlechinatown.com and it will help them tremendously. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and with that petition, are we going to deliver that to the city council, to the mayor's office? They're not listening to the people of Chinatown. We have to make them listen. Yep, we are going to hand deliver it to them. So if we get enough signatures, 10,000, me and um, me and members of the CID will be going to the mayor's office, to Dan do to Dow Constantine's office, and personally deliver this petition. Oh, it's beautiful. I hope you get 10,000 signatures. I hope you get 100,000 signatures. Um, you know, it's it's atrocious what they're doing to these communities that are working so hard to revitalize. They're really destroying these cultural enclaves that are part of the fabric of Western society. It makes me very angry. I'm so happy that you're advocating for them, Katie. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Sheila. Now we've come to the portion of the show where Ezra takes your viewer feedback. You see, unlike the mainstream media, we actually care about what you think about the work that we're doing. We leave our comments section open. The mainstream media, they're just all too happy to have Justin Trudeau give them your money after first cycling it through the hands of a thousand bureaucrats. But they don't want any of your icky opinions muddying up their pristine work. They don't want your criticism. They don't want your feedback. They just want your cash. Anyway. On Ezra's Arrive Can monologue from the other day, Justin Case Rumbles writes, We've pushed them back a bit, but they haven't changed their mindset one iota. They won't even acknowledge any of the carnage, let alone apologize for a thing. We're not out of the woods yet. You know what? This week, uh, when Parliament starts sitting again, they get these things back called order paper questions. Order paper questions are a tool that the opposition uses 
to force the government to actually answer and provide data to questions, unlike the theater that we see in uh, question period. Order paper questions compel the government to answer, and it's usually within a 30-day time limit. And normally a bunch of those are answered right when Parliament begins sitting again. And one came up, I think it was on Tuesday of this week, although we reported it on Wednesday because it takes a little bit of time because you have to actually read the official record. It's a little bit of work and, and don't count on the mainstream media to do that. But anyway, it showed that in about three months, just at Pearson, over a million people were delayed or inconvenienced or had their flights canceled. And it was approaching three thousand flights and don't kid yourself a lot of that has to do with arrive can a is silent rights we failed the test the worst is coming the climate lockdowns and the sheep will buy those lies too you know isn't that the truth we just had a covid lockdown that prevented us from flying why wouldn't we have a climate lockdown that prevents us from flying? And they use the same language, right? They say it's an existential threat. It's life or death. So stay home to stay safe. With COVID, it's going to be really easy to overlay that um, to fight the impending catastrophe of climate change. Of course, that'll just be for you and me and not for the people making the decisions like Justin Trudeau. I mean, we can't take flying away from him. How is he going to get to London to warble his way through a Queen song and embarrass us on an international stage? I mean, we can't take that from him. On Ezra's interview with Jeremy Lafredo on SaveEvelyn.com, friend of the King writes, this is absurd. For a hospital to do this is horrific and will only continue to dissolve any trust left in the medical associations. Now, Evelyn is a young child who was snatched from her parents. The, basically, the hospital medically kidnapped her because the parents wanted a second opinion. That's it. There's no allegations that they're bad parents, but the parents used the social services people to be the enforcement tool to keep this child with the hospital so they could, I guess, do some uh, medical experiments on her. And I don't know why we're so shocked about this. After the last two years, that's all we've ever seen is people being shamed and bullied because they did not want to participate in a medical experiment and they didn't want their children to participate in a medical experiment. This is just one case, but if we zoom out and look at the macro, this has been happening across the board in every community on the face of the earth for the last two years. Although it's good to see that Evelyn's case is causing outrage. It means that this has not been normalized in the hearts of people, that there are still people out there who think this is completely unacceptable and weird for good parents to not have the ability to make medical decisions that they think are best on behalf of their children. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, thanks to everybody in the office in Toronto and around the world who worked so hard to put the show together. And thanks to the boss for trusting me to fill in for him one more time. And as Ezra Levant always says, keep fighting for freedom. You're going to hold it with your mind. 
What if you're left-handed? It doesn't matter. Oh. It always has to be right-handed, you know. What happens when you do a kickback? Well, you don't, you don't try to do a kickback. Yeah, no, but what happens when you actually do? What do you have to do? You're hopefully not going to get hit because you're not standing directly in front of it. You're standing to one side. So what if you do get hit? Well, that's that's the risk you take. Sometimes the kickback can't be. I'm a mother of two, grandmother of three, retired teacher of 28 years, and I'm not having it anymore. I'm here today to stand for our children. It seems like our government has failed us, and they would rather protect perverts instead of our impressionable children. If he's totally legit, I have not vetted this person. But I'm going to give him the mic after this lady suggests it to me. They're all confused. They're all, they're being taught what to think, not how to think. That's not what education is supposed to be. So I like Savor Benis, I'm currently in Oakville, in front of Trafalgar High School. And as you know, recently we saw a viral video on Twitter and all social media showing a teacher from that school wearing a huge protesting breast. So today people join in front of the school to protest against that teacher but as well from the school who are protecting that teacher too so we are going to talk with some of them so really quickly before we show you the full video of what happened so go over nofetishteacher.com sign massively the petition and now I'll let you watch the video. You have already a lot of people showing up. Some people who are not really wanted here. So we will show you a couple of sequence of what happened. Why I'm here today is because children are our future and this corrupt government knows very well that the children are our future. The future that they foresee for the children and for all Canadians is not the future that we envision for ourselves whatsoever. There's being inclusive and then there's using inclusivity as a shield and I believe that's what's happening here. I think someone's taking their fetish to school and hiding behind being transgender and it's disgusting. Uh, there needs to be civil rules in order for everyone to be safe and everyone to be uh, have a space and and live peacefully in a way well what I heard really like uh, surprised me and it really disgusted me what I uh, seen on Instagram I couldn't believe it at first and then I did more research and I seen it was true I'm a father I'm a grandfather this country is not the country I grew up in um, Teaching is a profession. When you're a professional, you dress like a professional. When you go to work, nobody cares what you do in your bedroom, but keep it out of your profession. The kids do not need to be exposed to this crap. I'm a mother of two, grandmother of three, retired teacher of 28 years, and I'm not having it anymore. If, if even one more person helps alert the country to this, I'm just an ordinary person who's had enough. Well, I'm here today because I'm J.D. Meany and I'm running for Regional Council here in Oakville. Uh, regional Council position, I will oversee policies within the Halton region and also for the city of Oakville. I want to have a say 
in matters like this, I want to be able to support trustees that are going to be against this sort of behavior because this has nothing to do with being trans. I'm here today because whatever this thing's supposed to be is clearly a pedophile and I think that they're endangering children based off the law. Well, I mean like, <laughs> I'm shocked right now. There's hundreds of people out here. It was just me and my lonesome there, but I think what what it's really important for me to come out here today right now is to just reiterate again, like this individual, they have dysphoria. They probably have some autogenophilic tendencies. And if they don't have an ability to control that, it's not fair that they should be working at such an institution. Public schools should be neutral. You should not be pushing any sort of, impl of implicit or explicit biases in the education system. That's absolutely wrong. I'm here today to stand for our children. It seems like our government has failed us and they would rather protect perverts instead of our impressionable children. So now you can see just behind me you have someone with a, a board writing fags out. So as you can see the other protester is against the sign and they try to push him away. The police ask him to leave because it is causing a lot of disturbance. But you see the one media that is there is reporting on him instead of reporting on the protest. So we keep looking at what will happen with uh, the, this guy. We love gay people. Your car's all the other way. Well, that sign is very offensive. I do have gay friends and all that. Sorry, mister. Can I ask you, like, what do you think about all of this? No, no interviews, no comment. You don't want common like a, pro a big prosthetic press? Go talk to the surgeon if you want. Where is the surgeon? I don't know. You can't be on the property, so I'll send them out to you if you want. Hello. I'm not in a position to facilitate media interviews right now. If you'd like, I can give you the contact information for our Corporate Communications Bureau, and they'd be happy to speak to you. But so you have five number. gatherings so together. I'm, you have the time. I'm not providing a media interview right now. If you'd like, I can give you the phone number for our Corporate Communications. Sir, okay, thank you. you. But, but, Mister, are you protecting the children, or you're protecting the teacher here? So, there's no media allowed on the school property. I'm going to ask you to go back to the school line, off to the sidewalk. But I'm just asking, so like, what do you think about all of this? Sir, so I'm going to ask you to go back to the sidewalk. There's no media allowed on the school property today, so unless you have written authorization. Sorry, back to the sidewalk. Students are uncomfortable. They're all confused. They're all they're being taught what to think, not how to think. That's not what education is supposed to be. I think um, I think that there are like laws being put into place where people are going to lose their jobs, and people are just afraid to lose their jobs. They're afraid to be um, told that they're homophobe or, or racist, or you know, it's time for us to stand up and and say, you know what, I'll call call me whatever name you want, but I'm going to protect the kids. Well, there are laws. There's a whole spider web of laws coming down from the federal, provincial area that they have a lot of gray spaces. And it's understandable for the authority not to know how to act because their position might be at stake. Well, I think they're protecting them because it's uh, funded by the liberals or some other... Uh... It's a small minority that are trying to push their agenda and their views on everybody else. So we still don't know 
what is really the reason of all of this? Why the teacher is doing that, and especially in school? But we keep following that story. But as you see, a lot of students join today the protest, and it's obviously that they are uncomfortable with that teacher around. But we cannot show them, unfortunately, because we don't have the agreement from their parents. But we keep following that story, so please still follow Ruben News. So if you agree that that teacher should not dress like this, please go over nofetishteacher.com, sign the petition, so make your voice heard.